This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Christchurch Conversations Towards 2030 is a series of five events exploring how Otautahi Christchurch can achieve its climate goals. Organized by Te Butahi Centre for Architecture and City Making, each event features a range of thought-provoking speakers, from local experts providing the latest information, to local businesses and residents sharing their own experiences and actions. This is the second event called Can We Be a Zero Waste City? And due to COVID-level restrictions, it took place online. This program will feature some of the breakout sessions that cover a variety of topics from the whakapapa of stuff to what happens to our recycling and sharing and lending initiatives. This session is introduced by organizer Erica Austin. Kia ora koutou, ko Beijing toku maunga, ko Zhujiang toku awa, ko Han toku iwi, ko Liang toku hapu, ko Erica Austin toku iwa, ko Tahumahi ki te putahi, ko te Christchurch ambassador. Hello everyone, my name is Erica Austin. I'm also one of the team members at Te Putahi. I've been working with Jessica since 2012 and am very excited to be part of this event. We are now at a point at the pro in the program where we'll transition into the breakout sessions. Okay, let's get started. So welcome to the Whakapapa of Stuff. You've already heard from one of our presenters, Kahurangi from Parakore. In the session, Kahurangi will trace the lineage of materials. So please do pop your questions and comments into the chat. We'll come to it as, um, as many as possible at the end of the presentation. Fingers crossed we've got some time. So Kahurangi, over to you. Kia ora. Kia ora everyone. Um, I'm so lucky that I get to do a little bit of an expansion of what I was talking about earlier. Um, I was like <laughs> trying to get through all my slides so quickly. So thank you for um, being here. But the main point I wanted to get across um, in the first korero was about whakapapa and that it's a really simple way um, of being more conscious and um, building our connection with the whenua, with the land and with the people around us. Uh, so uh, the whakapapa o Ngarawa is about the whakapapa of all the stuff we use. So um, isn't that photo so cute? There we go. Let's see if I can move on to the next slide here. Come on, mate. Here we go. Okay. So if I look around my bedroom here, I can see that everything in this room, mostly everything, we're not going to talk about textiles or tech stuff today, but mostly everything is made from five natural resources. So if I look at my walls, um, they've got wood in them, my windows are made from um, glass. So let's have a look at our everyday stuff going to move your beautiful faces so the products we use so we have steel or maitai we have aluminium kōnu mohi of course glass kararehi uh, karahi sorry plastic kiriho 
and paper or paper and then of course cardboard that goes along with that so we look at all of this stuff around us oh, here we go here's my drink bottles a great um example so i've got glass i've got my um my wood so this is one of the things that i use every day oh my glasses so all of our stuff when we look around are made from these five everyday materials so our everyday materials obviously come from natural resources. So I want to think about the whakapapa of my drink bottle. What is the whakapapa of my drink bottle? Okay, well, let's see if I can, uh, yeah, there we go. So we have, um, of course, the whakapapa of pepper and cardboard and wood, uh, our rako, our trees, uh, the whakapapa of our steel, our mai tai is our black iron sand or iron ore mines as well. We have the whakapapa of our karahe, which is our white silica sand or nepu takuai. Hino. Now, um, of course, plastic, um, anything that's going to be a little bit waterproof is comes from plastic. Um, so that comes from our natural resource of oil and then um kōnumo here our aluminium comes from that um wonderful red rock that's um, mostly from australia if we think of that red earth over in australia that comes from bauxite and um i guess something to take away from this is thinking about where our stuff comes from really makes us switch our thinking in um, that this is a gift, a taonga from Papa Tuanuku, our earth mother. So all the stuff we use is a taonga. It has been gifted to us. So um, when I think about, you know, the aluminium can that I um, drink from, that aluminium is made from a gift of bauxite and that bauxite has traveled um, long long distances to then um, be broken down and then of course places like uh, Reno Tinto um, and those kinds of places that make our aluminium have to use up so much electricity and they have to um, create so much waste product for me to have this aluminium can that I will drink out of and yes put it in the recycling hopefully it goes into recycling um, and then it goes through that process again right and that is that is traditionally called a circular system but I guess what we're, we're, we're really doing when we think about the whakapapa of our stuff is we are thinking about yes where it comes from but also where it has traveled what it has done to get to where it is now to be in our um for us to be able to use it as a taonga so really um switching our thinking about that so what have we got here so um of course we've got our um, natural resource of rako and so um, that's pepper and kari maro, of course. We've got our black iron ore sand. So our resource makes the material of mai tai, our steel. So if we think of the difference between steel and aluminium as well, steel is what's really strong and hard and um, like the, the 
our cars and our trucks and things like that are made of. And then the aluminium is a little bit more uh, lighter. So um, I think the next one's, oh no, not aluminium. We've got white silica sand here. So um, a gift from Henny Kitty Kitty. Um, she's the atua of the, um, the space between um, the land and the sea of the sand. And so she gives us our um, karahi. Oil Hinu um, from deep within the realms of Ruo Moko um, give us our plastic, our kitty ho. So today I was um, walking along the beautiful Avon and unfortunately every day I'm picking it, like come home with just packets of plastic, like soft plastics in my in my pockets to throw away. And I was thinking, oh, what is the fuckapapa of this? Thinking about this cordage, like, what is the fuckapapa of this? And so I turned it over and I'm looking at the back of the packet and I can see where the packet, like where that chip packet um, company maybe packaged those chips into that plastic. But it doesn't tell me where the oil came from to make the plastic that is now being used um, and then just discarded by the river, which is going to go into the ocean. And it's, you know, it just expands. But this is what I'm saying. If we can just take away one simple thing, which is to think about the whakapapa of our stuff, it expands our minds and it deepens our connection and our empathy for where our stuff comes from. Because plastic is actually taonga, right? It comes from the natural world. So if we've got it, let's use it and um, reuse it. Um, we've got bauxite here, toka konu mohe, like I said, from the um, lovely Australia over there. And that gives us our aluminium products. So aluminium and steel, I've just talked a little bit how about how they're different. Um, a really easy test of that is obviously steel is magnetic and aluminium is not. Go around with your magnet. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about renewable resources and non-renewable. So the word renewable is re, so something happening again, um, re, new, I think that's the next slide, new, not old, it's new, to make something new, able, can. So what we're doing is we're saying renewable, it's making something again. We can make it again, so renewable. Renewable, renewable. So when we look at our five main natural resources that make the materials that we use in our everyday life, which ones, which of those are renewable? Of course, we've all been out there planting trees, or hopefully we have. <laughs> uh, so trees, trees are our, our rako, are our renewable resource. Is black iron sand renewable? Carl. White silica sand? Carl. Bauxite? Oil? Carl. So when we look at like at like that, I mean, you know, unless you've got a few million years to hang around for them to <laughs> to um, regenerate, we are using these resources up, and the only renewable resources resource is our arco, our trees. So non-renewable resources, 
Okay, and this is what I alluded to earlier. So what can we do? What can we do? We can look at our waste hierarchy. We can first refuse, say no to that stuff. So the first thing we need to do to be able to refuse things is to be aware of the stuff that we're using. Then we can reduce the stuff that we're using. We can reuse, um, and we've got wonderful repair cafes um, popping up all over the show. So um, learning to share our skills to repair. And um, like the previous speaker talked about was the um, right to repair movement. We can lobby legislators, our local governments, um, and go that is part of the top of that hierarchy as well. Um, repurpose things. Uh, obviously, the rotting, having um, compost and organic stuff. So a really cool um, app or website that you can go to is Share Waste. So if you don't have um, the ability to have a worm farm or a um, compost, you can go to Share Waste and you can type in your address and people will log in and tell you that you can drop your compost off to them. And... Um, like the Richmond Community Gardens, a really great um, example of that. Uh, recycle, right. So recycle, like I was mentioning, is right down the bottom of that um, hierarchy. Recycling, absolutely. If we are using it, we want it to go back into a stream where it can be recycled again. It's really important to know um, about the whakapapa of recycling and knowing that that takes a lot of energy, um, carbon emissions, and it's a very big process to actually recycle something. And in fact, plastic, when um, people say they're recycling plastic, that's not actually what's happening. It's called downcycling. Um, we downcycle plastic because it can only really turn into like a plastic water bottle is not going to be able to make another plastic water bottle. It'll probably end up like those chippy packets. And then eventually it is going to just end up in landfill. So plastic is something that is downcycled, not recycled. And then of course, to dispose or to burn is just um, basically not honoring that Taonga that we've been given in the first place. We are just making Papatuanuku and Ranginui sick by giving her food that she can't digest. Papatuanuku can digest those natural products and turn them into beautiful nutrients and continue the cycle of life and health. When we put something into landfill or we burn it, it no longer um, is a source of health for um, Papa um I've see, I'm seeing people popping back in, so I guess it's the transition oh, time. Absolutely, and sorry there wasn't time for um, questions, everybody, but um, yeah, please get in touch with me um, if you want to continue the discussion. Awesome. While Kahurangi is putting her, in her details, um, I will just uh, announce the next session. So in this room, we will host Red, Yellow, Green, where, What Goes Where. Thank you again, Kahurangi. Kahurangi. So welcome to Red, Yellow, Green, What Goes Where. Um, it's a pleasure to introduce the entrepreneurial and resourceful women 
uh, who will be leading the session. Sharon from Our Daily Waste and Leslie from Eco Educate. They will be going to um, they're going to explain what happens to our waste and recycling, reveal the cons and catches in our current system, and generally myth bust waste. Uh, so now I will hand it over to Leslie and Sharon. Got a koto, everybody, um, and thank you for having us uh, at this session. It's really exciting to be part of it. Um, now, I've got a little bit of a, a poll that I would love for you to put your hand up um, on your screen so that we can see. But who has heard that recycling is no longer being recycled? Couple of people, yeah. It seems to be a <laughs> bit of a um, myth out there. Um, well, I'm here to tell you that if that was the case, then neither Leslie or I would be sitting here right now because we wouldn't actually have businesses. Um, so that's one myth that we're going to bust right now. Um, but as I really like the fact that Kaharangi just pointed out that plastic is the problem and that it is not, I really like that it's downcycling, it's not recycling. So there are a lot of issues with plastics recycling at the moment and things are changing all the time as you'll be aware with now just the one, two and fives um, recyclable. And that is one of the main issues. And unfortunately, everybody's hearing the issues about that and kind of deciding that that means that nothing's getting recycled. But um, that is not the case. Some plastics are still being recycled. But I'll hand over to Leslie at this point. Thank you, kia ora. Um, so, yeah, that lovely must that it all goes to landfill. Well, it does if it is wrong or dirty. And honestly, having looked in people's bins for the last year, we've seen literally everything. It's a whole pile of food I'll never eat again. Um, so it's really, really important you check with your local council about what can go in your bin because it's not a nationwide standard um, and that it's clean and it's correct. And if you're in doubt, can you please put it in your red bin? But before you even get to that stage, perhaps start asking yourself about the things that you can reduce or reuse um, or not even have in the first place, that whole rethinking of waste so that we're not actually having to even contemplate whether we can recycle it, rot it, etc. cetera. Um, and ask questions and rely on people, please, who have the right information. Um, the myths on social media, uh, make both Sharon and I laugh at times, but also make us realise we won't be unemployed anytime soon. Sharon, what would you like to add? Um, yes, I like that Leslie calls it rethinking waste. Um, I call it waste prevention, um, not so much waste reduction, but actually preventing it before it comes waste um, as it is. And I think too, another really important thing to remember is that we can all be social media warriors now. And if you find something that you don't like that particular packaging, it's a few clicks away to actually go back to the manufacturers and tell them what you think of it um, and why it's not a great piece of packaging in that as well. Um, but yeah, I guess we're mostly here to ask, answer people's questions. So is there anything that we've got? Not at this point, but uh, please pop your questions or any comments into the chat now. So Sharon and Leslie can see. Oh, fruit stickers, the bane of my life. I hate them. I mean, thousands, if not millions, I've found in the bottom of worm farms. Um, I get schools to make sticker charts. They literally pick off all their fruit stickers, they stick them on the piece of paper and they take them back to the supermarket or the producer who stuck them on in the first place. Um, yeah, I am into child exploitation in schools. Oh, sorry, education. Um, 
so yeah, there is a move coming to make them paper. It's not happening fast enough for some of us. Um, I do know there's people who pick them off in the supermarket and leave them. Never been quite that brave. Um, farmers markets. Farmers markets don't put stickers on fruit. Um, I'm just seeing a question here. What is the worst thing you've found at a bin? Um, <laughs> mine for me was um, four orange juice bottles when I was doing a waste audit at the University of Canterbury. And when I found them in the landfill bin and they were all filled with what I thought was orange juice, except it wasn't. And it turned out, and I hope nobody's eating at this point, it turned out that it was the urine samples from testosterone patch tests. So you can imagine when I opened the bottle, the smell of it um, was really disgusting. And I'd just like to comment that if any of you ever do need to find yourself um, needing to dispose of some urine, there's a really good place for it and it's called a toilet. Um, but that's just sort of one of the things. Um, somebody else has put, have you places you suggest people shop for food to reduce packaging waste? I'm actually going to be dealing with that in the next um, session, so I won't get too much into it here, but farmers markets, bulk food stores, bartering, there's all sorts of things now, and more and more um, places like fruit and veggie places will take your reusable bags and things as well. Uh, the worst thing I found in recycling, um, it would take a lot, I guess, to beat fish curry at two weeks of age. Um, human ashes. Yep, she don't like grandma. Um, please don't leave her in the recycling bin. Um, sanitary items, condoms, uh, nappies, uh, human poo. How do we know it's human? Well, dogs don't leave notes and toilet paper. Um, so, yeah, literally everything. Um, it's a real insight into human behaviour. Um, I've noticed here what plastics get shipped overseas and what we should be doing that or trying to replace those plastics. If you mean what plastics get shipped overseas to recycle, all plastics get shipped overseas to recycle. Um, and somebody else has put what is happening to the recycling with the plastics. Well, as Kaharangi mentioned, it's downcycled. Um, they usually get made into things that can no longer be recycled after that. So polar fleece is one, for instance. And of course, that's highly problematic because it also sheds um, plastic fibres. Um, the soft plastic recycling that is happening at the supermarkets Last I heard, and Leslie, you might be able to correct me on this one, I can see your grin now, was that it was being sent to Australia to be turned into um, playground equipment and park benches and things, but nobody was actually wanting to buy them. So that was why it stopped for a while. Um, so that is that. Leslie, I'll hand over to you if you've got any more answers there. Uh, soft plastic, so currently not happening in Christchurch under level three, as I understand it. Um, it's very hard for us as educators to get answers to questions from the soft plastics people, um, which raises my alarm bells. Um, Australia is not taking it anymore. It is being processed in New Zealand. Uh, honestly, you've got to ask yourself, some of this single-use plastic do we even need in the first place? I'm still struggling to understand why bananas need a plastic wrap. Um, so that's your power of your wallet. Um, don't buy it. Shop differently. Sorry, Leslie. Tetra packs? Um, no, not recyclable. Interesting story about this. When I started, they were recyclable originally. And then they kept staying, even though the Eco Central didn't have anywhere to send them to be recycled and said, no, it actually needs to go to landfill. Unfortunately, the Christchurch City Council kept it on their 
messaging because it was in the contract to take them. So there was a lot of really confused messaging about that, but please put your Tetra packs into um, your landfill. Um, great that lower heart flight plastics are using one and two to make fruit trays. That's the kind of thing, sorry, I didn't realize when I said it was all being sent overseas. Um, and this is how difficult it is to keep up with the recycling industry. And I'm just looking at this question from Annette. Why does, is it, or maybe it's not Annette, why does the council not give really good and constant advertising? They try. Um, it's just that it is constantly changing and that even Leslie and I have to keep up to almost, we've almost got Avril from Eco Central on a hotline to go, oh my God, is this recyclable? I'm constantly coming across things with events. Um, quickly, I also noticed an early question. Somebody asked what we actually do. I run our daily waste. We do a lot of hand sorting um, and things at events. We're also lately have been doing a lot of consultancy. So we do waste audits. And of late, I've also been working at Westfield Record and doing a waste room trial where we've been hand sorting up until lockdown, where we were hand sorting all their waste and diverting as much as we could to see what, what could happen. So that's sort of what my expertise is. Leslie, you're... So I'm probably answering the next question. So Eco-Educate is in the business of educating people about rethinking their waste and looking after water. Um, you can find us on the internet. Um, we have a website. We have quite an active Facebook page. Um, and we're there to help and support. We're funded by Ashburton District Council, Waimakariri District Council, Webit and Selwyn, and we have some work we do in Christchurch through Eco Central. Um, so get in touch because um, we're there to help make it fun, easy, um, and get you thinking and taking some action. We're all about action, actually, more than talk. Um, and we work with, uh, on a good week, 1,000 to 2,000 people we connect with. And we're in 232 schools, preschools and high schools, plus the community. Yep. And we're all about action as well, literally, because most of the work that I do um, comes from going through people's bins. And we've seen it all at events waste audits, you name it. There is something that's actually, I do worry about my um, head and the fact that I quite enjoy it. And we love it, like at Rickerton recently, all of our crew were loving when we could actually go, oh, who's this? And we'd find an address and we'd find an FPOS receipt and we'd go, got them. And so there's something that we really enjoy about seeing everybody's dirty little secrets as it were. Possibly I'm quite masochistic. Um, Right, did we miss out on any questions? Oh, what are your thoughts on mining landfills? I personally think that we are going to be mining landfills in less time than we think. Um, when I first visited the Cape Valley landfill, the manager, I said to him, at what point do you think we're gonna be mining landfills? And he laughed and he said, you've thought about this. And I said, I absolutely have. So I, I think that we should actually be stopping it from going to landfills first, because it's also gonna cost an awful lot of money to mine them. But I think that will be our future rather than using virgin resources. It's great timing, actually. Thank you, Annette, for your, your last question. Um, so uh, thanks again, Leslie and Sharon. So what's happening next? We've got one more breakout session. So in this room, there is a discussion of the role of lending and sharing in minimizing waste. Cool. All right. Let's start. Welcome to the sharing and lending breakout session. I want to preface this discussion by saying that if we are going to reduce waste by owning less stuff, we'll still need to find ways to access things 
that we need or want. Those items will need to be a better quality and likely more expensive than many of the disposable products we currently own. Creating and using the sharing economy is an essential aspect of waste minimization. I'm very pleased to welcome two people from Ōtotahi who lead initiatives that enable people to share resources. Shortly, artist Gabby Monteo and entrepreneur Toby Skilton will introduce themselves and their initiatives. After that, they will be able to answer your questions about sharing and lending in general. So do again, pop them into the chat. So I will ask Gabby to kick us off um, into telling us about tool injury. Gabby. Hi, everybody. Uh, tool injury. So I used to be the uh, workshop technician at the School of Fine Arts, and I thought it was a, a great way to uh, push and pull with projects, make things happen. And I would consult with students and teach them health and safety. And when I left the university, I started, tried um, a workshop of so it's a mobile workshop this was post earthquake where uh, we would have tools that are usually sitting in people's garages and not being used uh, accessible for people and they just needed space and access to these tools and then along with that comes the education behind it of how you use a thing and how we can grow from there and realize what you want to do so the idea of the tool library is not something new uh, it's been used in san francisco for years and years and all over the world there's tool libraries the idea is to not own a thing or when it's sitting idle, have it on consignment or have it loaned to people. So Men's Shed does this as well. But um, about two years ago, we got a bit of funding through city council and then also through Fletcher Living. And that was funneled through Gap Filler to put a 20 foot container on the corner of Cashville and Manchester. And there's about $20,000 worth of tools in there that uh, you now join anyone that's um. Uh, a resident in the city can join for free and then book out their tools as you would an Airbnb or something. Five bucks a week, uh, any tool. So if it's a hammer or if it's a compound miter saw, it's all five bucks. And so I am there twice a week with another helper. Uh, we are paid uh, um, uh, employees of Gap Filler. And so this is funded. It doesn't really break even, but it is a community service that we're happy to do. And Fletcher Living, which funds it still, is pretty happy about having it uh, there. And uh, that's probably a good place to stop. Erica? Cool. Thank you, Gabby. Toby, yeah, sure. please unmute yeah. yourself. Right. Perfect. Cool. Yeah. So kia ora, everyone. Uh, my name is Toby Skilton, and I'm the founder of a company called Mutu. Uh, so basically, we're an online community marketplace. Um, and we bring people together to share everyday items that would otherwise be collecting dust or making their way to landfill. Um, so I'm fortunate enough to be one of seven siblings. Um, the not so fortunate thing about having so many siblings is collectively we own a whole bunch of stuff. Um, we've managed to acquire, I guess, in our family, every bit of sporting gear, tool, um, bit of gardening equipment, knickknack, electronic um, that you could think of. But I then experienced the polar opposite when I studied down in Otago. I went from having everything I could have ever wanted and more to living in a flat where we didn't even own a vacuum, lawnmower, anything like that. But when the lawns got long, uh, we would borrow that lawnmower from the flat two doors down. And when the, the monthly vacuum would take place, we would go across the road and, and get a, a vacuum cleaner from there. So I learned pretty quickly that there's a, a pretty significant problem, um, not only in New Zealand, but all over the world with our, our view around ownership. Um, it doesn't make any sense that every single house on the street would have a lawnmower. Um, 
So we decided to do something about it. So we essentially have created Mutu, which is a way for people to either make money by sharing all of these wonderful things we own and hardly use, as well as being able to save money and save the planet by borrowing things you're only going to use once or twice. Um, so it's all done via an online platform. So we've, also, we've got a website and a mobile app. It's completely free to use. Um, but it doesn't just stop there. So basically, we've also now created a couple of business offerings. Um, we started to get a huge amount of inbound interest from not only uh, retail brands, but also really large asset heavy and quite decentralized organizations like city councils, universities, construction companies. So we've got two business products that are being essentially released within <clears throat> probably the next month or so. Um, one allows retail brands to offer a share economy service. So your favorite retail brands like Katmandu and Mitre 10 and things are going to be able to offer a rental product. So if you if you don't want to potentially own a new tool, you're thinking about buying something new, you can make a more informed purchasing decision um, and try it out first. And the second one is for, for those larger businesses, like I mentioned, to be able to essentially share all the wonderful things they own either internally or via affiliate networks. Um, so as I said, it's, it's, um, free for the for the personal level, the consumer one. Um, anyone can download it. It's just at mutu.co.nz. Um, if the sharing platforms for business are also of interest, um, I'm happy to connect with anyone and everyone to, to talk about that. Um, the other thing I thought I would also mention is often one of the main questions are what do the items get damaged, broken or stolen? So we've put a bunch of precautions in place to keep not only yourselves, but also your items safe when they're being shared with the community. Um, so we've got insurance. It's called the Mutu Guarantee. So that protects your items up to the value of $1,500 if they're damaged, broken or stolen. Um, everyone's verified with ID verification, phone and email. Um, and much like Airbnb or Uber, we also have star ratings and reviews. Um, so I did want to leave you with just a, a little, uh, I guess, question, hypothetical question to ponder over um, is, you know, do you really want to own a lawnmower or do you just want short grass? And I guess the, the point of that is, you know, do we actually want to own things or do we just want the experience or service that thing provides? Um, so both the tool lendery and Moto, and there's a heap of other solutions out there that can essentially enable us to get access to those wonderful things without the need to take on ownership. Um, but yeah, incredibly important discussion. Thanks, um, Erica, and obviously for everyone who's organised this for allowing us to have the conversation and super keen to answer any questions. Cool. Thank you, Toby. And thanks again, Gabby. Um, I don't see any questions yet, um, but please do pop in the chat your questions. Um, I've got a couple uh, here. So my first question to both of you, actually, is um, how can sharing and lending be equitable? Will everyone be able to access the things that they need, regardless of money? Yeah, I mean, I can jump in for that one first. I mean, I think one of the incredible benefits of both the tool lendery and Mutu is it enables, to your point, Erica, anyone to get access to things. I mean, um, as Gabby said, for $5, you can essentially get a tool and you'd, we'd like to think most people could, could get that if it's something they really do need. And the same on Mutu, you've got tools on there for, you know, couple of dollars a day it all varies so whatever you put your items on there is completely up to you the pricing um, and I think as well you know generally ownership it, it does you know not everyone is in a position to take on ownership to get the things they need so being able to just get access to an item when you need it, it is an incredible opposite uh, opportunity for, for everyone and the added bonus is for the planet as well it's a good question, Erica, and I've, I've thought, um, judging by some of the people that arrive at the tool lendery, some of them don't have funds in the bank and they need to charge up their debit card. Uh, we're cashless um, 
organization. Um, there are people on the streets that just need a bike pump to pump up the air in the tires of their bike. Um, the, uh, you do need to register online. You do need to show proof of address. We have members that are backpackers that are transient. So it doesn't appeal to everyone, but we, yeah, I guess it's, it's tough. Yeah, you, uh, you um, it's a, I think it's affordable. I think it's accessible. However, there's limitations. I mean, if you take our lawnmower, um, you need a place to charge it up and you need a place because it's battery powered and you also need a, probably a, a way of transporting as well. So you need a car to come and pick it up. So uh, if there was a larger conversation one time that we get together and revamp things, it would be good to make it more accessible. Perhaps that might mean cash. Thank you so much. Oh, we've got a question in here. So are there good places to learn practical repair skills as it seems they are less common in today's society? I think that's really important. Uh, Gap Filler has been working on a series of workshops usually on a Saturday afternoon and it can be upskilling as far as um, building a raised garden bed or it can be a shelf. Uh, there are some kitchen, handy kitchen uh, tools and tips and tricks that we've been working with. Uh, there's uh, to, uh, kids uh, workshops we do during Kids Fest as well. Um, I think more than anything is um, the, the University of YouTube nowadays, you, you can learn anything you need on a video and then you just need access to the thing to make it happen. Thank you. I mean, I, I'm i such a big fan of Mutu and Tolendere and, and Gapfiller's work, um, but uh, not many people well, I hope a lot more people know both of your initiatives um, after this event and, and hopefully beyond as well. There is another question that I have is, what are some of the barriers we need to overcome to encourage more sharing and lending in general? Yeah, this is a, a really big one. I think there's just a, um, a very strange view around ownership. I think, you know, if you, if you dial the clock way, way, way back, I'm talking to all of our ancestors, you know, we lived in these communities where there were no fences. There was probably like one, I'm not sure what the law may have looked like, but the equivalent back then. And, and everyone just uh, collectively, um, I guess, consumed things. So we all had, I guess, this open tool lendery or um, some version of Mutu back then. And then I guess it all changed and the fences went up and we sort of shift from these collaborative consumption communities to kind of these hyper consumption communities. So it's less about the we and more about the me. Um, so I think it's just, and I think there is a huge change. I think it is happening. Um, and we're probably on the brink of it now where people truly are understanding that there's no need to, to own everything. Um, it's probably because there wasn't as many opportunities before. Um, like to now know that potentially you could open up an app on your phone or you go into town and get access to the thing you need without having to take on ownership I think the more people that are familiar with the concept and realize that you know it's actually quite seamless it's quite enjoyable um, and you're also the benefit it's having for the planet I think we will see a major shift um, but I think it's for the likes of our initiatives there probably needs to be more um, they're talked about more and, and selling those benefits um, so I do think it's just a matter of time and just to keep um, yeah keep on educating people that it does really make a massive difference uh, Toby's right uh, with that, and I would add to that, um, might be a bit of a radical thought, but uh, I think things need to be designed differently since the beginning. There's uh, way too much of the $30 cordless drill uh, kind of um, design happening, and um, 
uh, with this idea of, that we have of convenience of, uh, I don't want to borrow something from a grandfather or from a neighbor or something. So I'm just gonna go out and purchase something just to get the job done. And so you can buy a $30 cordless drill from Bunnings and it will crap out on you in two to three years. It's actually some, some uh, um, engineer once told me that they have an operating, they're, they're designed to fail, that they're designed with plastic gear so that they have a six minute operating time. So if you have pressed the button uh, on, a, on, a, on one of those cheap drills for six minutes, it has done its job. And uh, it's so convenient to just get another one. However, if we were mandated, uh, like uh, I've heard like Mila and Bosch and some of the German companies are mandated to carry parts for 12 years and guarantee into multi-year warranties for, for their products, uh, you cannot afford that thing anymore. So the convenience is gone of being able to have it and own it and use it all the time. You must uh, now either pay that price or simply just borrow it, rent it, and, and find some alternative way of using a high-quality product instead of a crappy one. One really short question um, before we have to wrap up is um, how are your numbers growing in terms of your users? Yeah, I mean, we've been absolutely blown away um, by the uptake. Again, we would, we would always love more people to, to join the MUTU movement, but we've been sort of tripling user growth month on month, which has been awesome to see. Um, there's now about 14,000 people using the platform throughout the country, which is awesome. Um, we hope now that we're introducing these business initiatives that, we, that, that will continue to grow, um, making it more accessible. Um, but yeah, so it is good. It's obviously, it's a work in progress. Again, it's um, yeah, we'd love to see more. With Tool Landry, it is, um, uh, we don't have a dedicated person to do social media. And I guess that's the name of the game these days to get people to remind everyone that we're still here. Uh, 450 members, we keep it local. Again, it's just Christchurch based. Thank you so much. Uh, and then there's another question here um, that's just in general that, uh, yes, we these sessions are being recorded, all of the um, breakout rooms as well. So um, you'll be able to access all these conversations post event. So um, with that in mind, um, please uh, can we thank Toby and Gabby again and do put in your details, um, your website and social into the chat so people can contact you and get in touch. Kia ora. This has been part two of Can We Be a Zero Waste City? the second event in the Christchurch Conversations Towards 2030 special series on how to achieve the city's 2030 climate targets. Many thanks to Te Putahi Centre for Architecture and City Making for kindly sharing this recording. Podcasts of this series are available from the Plains FM website. Just search Christchurch Conversations.